Hi everyone, it's Chantelle. Thank you so much for sticking with Surviving Society whilst we haven't been able to release original content for some time now. Matthew Miller was my husband and a father to two incredible young women. He passed away in March 2022 as our family lost a four-year battle with his bowel cancer. A series of misdiagnoses and my husband being just 36 when his symptoms actually started. It was only when he was 37 that we found out that he had stage four bowel cancer in September 2017. I've intermittently discussed the intimate relationship I have with chronic and terminal health conditions on this show, not as a sufferer myself, but as a primary carer. But in today's episode, I was joined by scholar and writer Julia Topping to help me address the reasons why we've had to have quite a long break from the studio and what I would like to describe as the politics of cancer. I don't usually talk, obviously, as you know, on the show, we talk about our personal lives, but there's things about this show that I don't plan on doing very often that are very personal that I'm going to be sharing with you guys. And there are three key reasons why we have an episode dedicated to the politics of cancer. Number one, my husband was an incredible man. Me, Evs and Bex, who are his daughters, decided years ago that Matt was in fact one in a million. And with this, naturally, it's really important to share with you listeners that this podcast simply wouldn't have happened, continued and sustained without his cheerleading. My husband wasn't an academic or scholar. We have very different professions, but he was one of the most creatively minded, driven, passionate and smartest people I've ever known. He cared about society he cared about people, he was ridiculously generous and just one of those people who make you feel so special within minutes of meeting him. We talk a lot about love and politics on this show and at the core of my husband's short life was an endless desire to take everyone with him. I was fortunate enough to be part of Matt Miller's roller coaster ride of loving, hustling, looking after people and encouraging more people to show both forgiveness and compassion to each other. He's gone way too soon, but he lives on in so much of what we do and try and work towards as a family, as a collective, as surviving society and beyond. Reason number two for this episode. I want to address this incredibly personal issue with you listeners head on so it actually doesn't become my professional identity. That statement in of itself might sound crazy or juxtaposing, but I don't want to have to talk about these matters at this point in my career. It might be that I come back to it at a later day or later in my career, or sometimes I might even mention it on the show. It is an important part of my scholarly trajectory, even though I don't want it to be part of my professional identity, because cancer has played a significant part of my adult life so far. So this episode will be a personal resource for me to direct people to once they inevitably find out that I became a widow just 10 months before my 30th birthday. Reason three for this episode. It was really important to Matt that I used our experiences of navigating cancer to raise awareness around younger families in particular, especially those of working age who go through this. As young families, we have to create a life around adaptation, short-term planning, and of course, treatment. This episode will also focus on how COVID-19 and the lockdown impacted people navigating cancer treatment. So here goes, and thank you for listening in advance. Welcome to Surviving Society with Chantel Lewis and Tiso Regis, executively produced by Georgia Fori Addo. If you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever expanding sociological imagination, 
please support us via Patreon. If not, you can always support us by sharing, subscribing, rating and reviewing. This is a trigger warning. This episode at times contains conversations and sensitive material that people may find difficult to listen to. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Surviving Society's Alternative to Woman's Hour. I am really excited today to be joined by Julia Toppin, who is my friend first and foremost. Hello. (laughs) Julia is a lecturer in music, enterprise and entrepreneurship at the University of Westminster. Julia is a jungle music historian an advocate for women in music i would also say that you're like a massive advocate for black women in general as well like that is what i celebrate black women celebrate people. yeah celebrate black women you're a radio host of the new nationwide project and conscious lyrics via repeater radio julia is a former secondary school teacher in english a former tv producer dj track selector and drum and bass label owner i love reading out julia's cv basically that's not even all of it no there's a few bits out there but you know diversity consultant diversity consultant miss that miss that as well yeah there's so much you've done so much it's because i'm so old you're not old that's the point that's the point of this episode you're literally not old that's the point before we get into it Judy, can you tell the listeners how old you are i am 50 years old when was your 50th last october Um, it's really funny actually because um as as we know, uh, we'll talk about it. But in the hospital, when you, you go for lots of different things, and I can always hear them go, "What's your date of birth again?" Yeah, like the you know they're yeah, looking at it and they're thinking, "Ooh, typo." You'll have heard in the beginning of this episode that Julia has really, really, really kindly said yes to coming on this show to talk to me about the politics of cancer, about her own journey with cancer, in order for me to find a way to talk to you guys, listeners, about what myself and my family have been through in order to park it if that makes sense mm, yes. on in terms of my profession but also as what we do on surviving society and it's so kind of you julia to come on this show to talk about this stuff because it's deeply personal it's deeply political it's gendered it's racialized it's difficult it's daily i don't think there's many people that i know that are as that are as strong as you in the context of that being that you're going for chemotherapy tomorrow aren't you Yes, tomorrow. Yeah, you've got to uh, every tomorrow. And you've day. agreed to come on the show with me to talk about cancer. Um, it's all about my, to my my relationship with cancer, your relationship with cancer. And yeah, I just think you're a legend and I really, really appreciate you for doing this. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really honoured that you asked me to do this. That's like, you know. I think we can get through the episode without crying. We yes, might, we yeah, might, probably. we might. George no, is shaking his head shaking like his we're not going to be able to. But listeners will know as well, apart from a live podcast we did last week, this is my first time back in the studio for months now. So I am nervous. I do feel like a different person. I wouldn't do it with any other person. So thank you again, Julia. Oh, that's you're welcome. Just before we sort of talk about Julia's journey, my husband, Matthew Miller, was diagnosed when he was 37 but he started to get symptoms between the ages of 35 and 36 really he had bowel cancer misdiagnoses for about 10 months or so they thought he had Crohn's they thought he had intolerances we went on loads of different diets if anyone has a has an intimate relationship with cancer some people who get cancer or have cancer 
the cancer or the tumours don't actually show in their bloods. When Matt would have his bloods taken before he got diagnosed, it would just never show that he had tumours. They have these things called tumour levels Mm. where you're able to read or they're able to read in the lab like what's going on in your body. And Matt's bloods would always say that he's absolutely fine. So that was a key reason um, why we had so much misdiagnosis. Also because he was very young, very fit, active, go-getting, but had like just had this chronic issue of his bowel and we just didn't know what it was for so long Mm. like went to see specialists they were like you're way too young to have anything wrong with you and we had a series of unlucky events and I think a lot of people would get into the space of blame and I understand that but myself and Matt just always and our family tried to see everyone was just doing their best and there's no one that would want I don't think there's many people on this earth that would want a young man to get cancer and pass away so so early in his life but that it was the reality and that is the reality of what happened around diagnoses I think it's really important that we do work harder to raise awareness because the reality is because of how long it took when Matt was diagnosed he was stage four now I think we'll talk a little bit about this Julia and the politics of stages because actually medically a lot of doctors and a lot of oncologists are moving away of talking about stages Mm. because there's so many ways to quote-unquote live with cancer like cancer's being treated more like a chronic illness rather than something which is inevitably terminal rather than something that means that you're, you're done for basically it's not it's not being treated like that now and that's really positive his cancer had spread to multiple sites by the time he got diagnosed. So that in itself could have been picked up earlier, but we got unlucky. If you do pick up these signs earlier, whether it's stage one, stage two, we, and also stage three, you can survive. That's what's really important to sort of flag, just sort of thinking about this diagnosis stage. But Julia, um, could you tell the listeners a bit about your diagnoses? Oh, okay. So uh, this is a very deep emotional subject, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that it's okay if, if I inject a little bit of... In my head, I was just about to say I tell stories and then I had that I'm a storyteller. Do you remember that program, Storyteller, anyway? Mm-hmm. But, so that's but all right. You so, are a storyteller, though. I see you as a storyteller. I feel like a storyteller, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to sound really silly. We're in lockdown. Everybody starts wearing loungewear. Women start wearing bras with no wires, even though I've very ample bosomed as my doctor would like to say so um no in a polite way okay fine it was when we were it was when we were talking about um you know leveling up yeah i thought when yeah and he was like you don't need to level up no one's gonna notice a difference and i'm like what anyway we'll talk about that later so basically i um knowingly i get all my bras from bravissimo shout out to bravissimo does the big bra sizes but I did buy this little bra because it was a sports one, knowing that it wouldn't fit me properly, but I just thought I'll chart by it. Anyway, so it kind of squished. I don't know, yeah, it squished my yeah, boobs yeah. together, right? And because <laughs> it did, when I took it off, I felt this lump on the under right side of my breast, right? And so that I wouldn't have felt that if I hadn't have worn this little bra, which obviously I have in a drawer in the house. I'm never throwing it away, right? So the sl- can I just say, the sliding doors of cancer yeah they is, are they it's are. so real isn't it it's very real so basically i felt this lump i would say that was last march maybe early march 
And then, I don't know, I was in school, we were trained to, to feel for lumps and stuff like that. So I couldn't tell you the last time I'd done it, but I could tell you that it's definitely something that I did semi-regularly over the years, right? Just to make sure. And I'm very, very grateful to my secondary school education for that, St. Martin's in the Fields, way hey. So I immediately knew there was something very wrong straight away, mm-hmm. right? A um, hard lump. Yeah, or, a yeah. hard lump, yeah. And I, and then as usual, the politics of poverty, doctors, whatever, I knew there's a few days where I thought, I thought I'll give it a couple of days, but not many. So I think I gave it a few days. It was always still there every day. Then I went into the rigmarole trying to get a GP's appointment, right? So, but and, and for everything, I've got a routine. So at 7.29, I'll dial the number. I'll start to go into the system. I might get the voicemail, and then I just keep going until it clicks from the voicemail into reception and then you get into the queue. I'm extra. I don't pretend like I'm not extra. I'm an extra person. I'm a, you know, so if I need extra. my, if I need to see them, if I need to see the doctor for emergency appointment, I'll tell them straight up. I've I'm got coming. back pain. Whatever, <laughs> yeah, yeah. whatever it takes, right? Because <laughs> I haven't got time because my line with the NHS is it's not my fault that it's been chronically underfunded for decades, right? That's a macro issue. Right, and it cannot affect me, Julia Toppin. Mm-hmm. I can't have that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, this is, honestly, Julia, I can sorry, just interject as well here. Negotiating this stuff with the health service, right? Unfortunately, it's the loudest voice. You you see it even in the ward. You see it even in the chemo the in the chemo in the, in the chemo in the chemo ward. Matt used to be like, Chantelle, don't worry, don't worry. I'm like, no, if I don't go, if I don't go tell them that we need this, someone else get like it's it, it, it brings out like a that. side like it has to bring out a side of you that I try to be in my daily life, like compassionate, caring, and I would never like because behave the like meek that. Don't but, inherit uh, the earth. But unfortunately, that is what it's like. So yeah, so I got an appointment. The lady on the phone, it's funny because she said to me, oh, are you sure? Are you sure it's a serious thing? Are you sure you've not had lumps before? She wasn't, you know, she's, I mean, they're doing their, they've got their triage mm-hmm. script, haven't they? And I just said, listen, I've been checking for lumps my whole life mm-hmm. and I've never felt anything like this. So I'm sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And so they made an appointment for me that same day. I went to my GP in the afternoon and I saw the senior nurse. Um, I should flag up that I've had some medical issues before. So I got diagnosed in 0809 with pernicious anemia. It, it just means that my body doesn't make red blood cells. So I have to have an injection of B12 every, mm-hmm. it's supposed to be every 12 weeks, but I'm extra. I wrote to the head of hematology at King's College Hospital and I told her I need my injections every eight weeks because I've worked out over time that I was having like little car accidents and whatever in between weeks nine and 12. And because it affects your central nervous system, B12. Anyway, so I think... That's not extra. That's taking control. But yeah, yeah, they yeah. didn't want to do it. So the protocol is every time I go, they're like, oh, I'll see you in three months. I'm like, no, you'll see me in eight in weeks. weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so because of that, that whole pernicious anemia is not an issue for me anymore. I don't get tired. I don't get this. I don't get that because I have what I need, mm-hmm. not what the government says I need. Mm-hmm. Right? Actually, I'm going to say this. In COVID-19... A lot of people got locked off for their B12 injections. I got sent a text saying you can't have your B12 injections anymore. Straight on the phone to the GP and they were like, oh, we were waiting for you to call, Julia. There are a few <laughs> slots available. Slot, and we saved sh- one for you. Not just B12 shots, chemotherapy. People got locked off of their chemotherapy in lockdown. It was aged as well. Mm. I have spoke about that once on the show, but people need to hear this. Decisions were made. Decisions were made. About who could who, live, who who's going to live, live and who, who could, could die. die. Decisions were made and very brutal ones. Yeah. And so 
yeah so anyway so that didn't happen i had them i had my shots all the way through everything right um so <laughs> i saw penny <laughs> I love you. and you when so she funny. examined me now I, that's why i just say you can call it extra i call it assertive but some people don't like it they call it aggressive they call it whatever they want i'm not rude to people I'm so not interested in those people it's like whatever yeah. but i knew when penny examined me i could tell from her face that it was cancer right so she put me on a two-week urgent referral i went out and had a walk in the park i was in a terrible job i think most people that know me know where i work so we won't shout them out ha 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 but um i was in a terrible job i was very i was working really ridiculous mental 80 hours a week and i was supposed to be working three days a week hours with no support um and hostility and you know academia we've done the academia podcast Mm -hmm. right so we know what time it is for black women in academia so the first thing I said to my best friend on the phone when I was walking through the park was, I'm going to quit my job. This is real. I'm quitting my job. All right? But I didn't because, you know, I love work too much. I got the two-week referral and it did happen within the two weeks. I went in. I saw a lovely doctor. I know he won't want me to name him because he's, but he was a great, the surgeon. You see the surgeon first, mm-hmm. you know, they examine you. And then he was like, I mean, I think, you know, he can't say, yeah, yeah, you've got cancer. But I think he was like, well, I was like, what do you think? And he said, if it's a cyst, they'll drain it today. If it's not a cyst, they'll do an ultrasound, take a biopsy, and I'll see you in two weeks. So when you go in for the day, it's like an assessment day, right? Yes, yeah. So you go in and see the doctor, they examine you, then they take you back out to reception, then you go and have a mammogram. So I did that. But then... There's two levels to the mammogram. So again, I went to the next level. They looked at it and they were like, mm. went to the next level. Then they did the next mammogram. Then they were like, mm, yeah, we're going to ultrasound. Then they went to ultrasound. And they were like, mm, yeah, we're going to biopsy. So I was like that. By the- Who'd you have with you at this point? I was on my own. Yeah. And so by the time I got to the biopsy bit, it's like, well, they're, they're only going to biopsy the mass if they think it's cancerous, right? There was a little thing with the biopsy because they had this big conversation about whether they should use a... um, Because I used to be a journalist, I'm difficult. So they had this conversation about whether they should use a 14-gauge or an 18-gauge needle for the biopsy. And technically, it was supposed to be a senior doctor doing it, not the other lady, because she wasn't experienced. Because she was like, oh, yeah, when it comes to the biopsy, I'm going to get this person to do it. Anyway, when that person came in, they were like, no, 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 you can do it. And I was there thinking, hmm. She couldn't do it properly. You know, so they're having this training session, right? Oh, obviously I'm under anesthesia. No, listen, listen. Right? When they were doing, whenever <laughs> they tried to do training bits with Matt, I'm like, go, no, no, not, I'm not, not today. Yeah. I don't like, I know that that's how they need to like learn and stuff, but not I. Oh, well, they, they not, learned that day. Did they? Go on. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> because so they had their little convo. I had to have an extra set of anesthesia. Because she couldn't find it, she wasn't snatching the oh, right bit. Gee, Obviously, yeah. it didn't hurt. Oh, no, and I but wasn't it's distressed. Prod- but it's the prodding. Yeah, I wasn't distressed, and it's funny because there's a the the black nurse was there. Yeah, anyway, she she knew she knew she was like. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, they did it, and then obviously on the way out, they were like, "Yes, yes, yes." It, I I was like, "I know I have it," and they were like, "Yeah, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look very good." So then you have to wait another two weeks for that to happen and that would be that was like i think it's like the 13th or 14th of april because i think on the 12th i was doing a big thing at uni Mm -hmm. with the students and it was a day after that 
it was today because I told a few of the students and then it was like oh my dad had skin cancer and my aunt people want to tell you yeah, yeah, yeah it all yeah, comes yeah. out so there was a couple of my students that knew and yeah. they knew that I felt that it was it was happening and I suppose lucky for me it was the end of the academic year whatever so I went back in the two weeks but I went with my bestie didn't go on my own like I said I felt like I knew right and so when he said yes yes you know we found cancer I was like I wasn't like you know breaking down or anything like that so I just want the details right so basically it it was I think it was 3.7 centimeters so I nicknamed it the golf ball right because that's around about the size of a golf ball right 3.7 it was a ductal carcinoma in situ which is called a DCIS it was uh, her two positive so basically it's hot means it's hormone feeding it was very high I was on the top of the level for either estrogen or progesterone and then really close to the top of the level for the other one but it was rapid growing it was mm-hmm. a grade three right because there's grades and stages mm-hmm. my doctor would never give me a stage I love I love I love that yeah, like it's that. really important yeah. it's really really important I think mentally with Matt's stage and how progressed he was he had like three months to live he lived for four and a half years see this is the issue see I, he wouldn't give me a stage because you know it's really sad it's not sad it's me I'm a lifelong fan of Grey's Anatomy right? yes come so on so when it comes come to on. the medicals <laughs> and house you, you right? learn you learn I self-diagnosed my pernicious anemia do you know how many <laughs> doctors told me I didn't have pernicious anemia they, when I said to her, I think I've got this. Listen, Meredith one, Grey. Yeah, Meredith, my, yeah. Meredith Grey. Meredith and Christina, <laughs> Meredith and Christina. We're a trio. So anyway, so, so yeah, so we said all that, but they were like, you know, this is highly treatable. Um, there's, a, there's a whole protocol for this. We know what type of tumour you have. Um, we know how exactly how to treat it. I'll be talking to you in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Right? That, I remember him saying that. And I was thinking, oh. Okay, it's not so bad then, right? But I knew that it was incredibly fast growing because I asked them how long they thought they'd been there and they didn't actually think it had been there longer than the year. So from January to March. And it, we're in 20, April, 20, is this 20 is last year. 2021. Yeah, so yeah. from January to March, um, it had grown like, you know, like a centimetre a month. Well, mm. obviously, you know, things yeah. grow exponentially and whatever. But so it was very fast growing. So then, yeah, so then I went into the machine which we could probably talk about next if you wanted yeah. to reference something else first because I had a friend... Um, Are you talking about the cancer machine? Well, I call it... the No, no, not the machine. I just call it, you know... The system. I, yeah, I went into the yeah, system. Yeah, that's what me and Matt called it as system. well. Yeah. As in, like, you want to get the diagnosis as early as possible, but you also want to take advantage of those days. What my advice would be to people if they... You, you know when it's coming, I think. Yeah. But my advice to people is in those days Live before... Your life. In those days before you're going into the system, just sit in those days because when you go in the system, you are in the system. So... It's like a whole other job. It's a whole... It's a, it's a job. Cancer becomes... Work. Work. With Matt, we've had... Because his... So his cancer... He had bowel cancer that had spread to his um, liver his lymph nodes and then after a year spread to his lungs as well mm. so all had different treatments so it means we had different specialists that we were with yes, all the time yes there's different yeah, drugs yeah, yeah. for different types so we've got of, your, yeah. your oncologist who is team captain yeah oncologist so oncologists are the people that yeah manage the overall mm. cancer with matt we had the bowel specialist so they're the person that's going to cut out the tumors which are in um his bowels so he had a resection you then have your liver specialists, very important people because you're 
liver is incredibly important for staying alive then you have your lung specialist now luckily matt had uh, oh matt had a liver resection he had one of the highest he had 75 percent of his liver cut out because your liver regrows yeah that's right so yeah. matt had 75 it's cut out to get rid of the tumors and it grew back but it grew back in a weird way yeah so you had your liver specialist then you have your lung specialist luckily matt had smaller tumors on his lungs which means we could do something called ablation okay which is where you put these little gold plates insert them onto your tumors and then they zap them okay and that got rid of them oh great but then overall all of the madness and particularly the madness i call chemotherapy mm. deteriorated matt's digestive system yeah, so then you have your your gastro guy deals with your digestive system and deals with the liver and that becomes that person becomes as important as your oncologist basically as you're going through um chemotherapy and matt in total had 40 two rounds of chemotherapy oh my god yeah. oh, then again, oh my god and i'm trying to remember how many i've had i'm yeah. probably getting up there yeah so you go into that machine and after you've seen the surgeons he basically said um you know i'm punting you over to oncology you're gonna do six months of chemo mm-hmm. when you come back we'll cut we're gonna cut the tumor out great yeah so that's a, that's something they tend to do don't they chemotherapy first then surgery yeah. then a bit more chemo yeah and because my because my tumor was so big i mean there are bigger but because it was deemed big mm-hmm. and it was very fast growing yeah they wanted to do the chemotherapy to shrink it down uh-huh. and to slow the growth and also mm-hmm. they said that if it because ha- at that point we didn't know if it was spread or not so they were like well if it has spread the chemo will just will kind of like wash you clean. Yes. Right? If, if there are just little bits of it that they can't detect, it will wash you clean. Because obviously you have to start having all these tests. So I had to have a contrast CT. I had to have an MRI. And then when they did an MRI, I had to have a full body MRI. All the MRI. And I used to joke CT with my brother. Scan, yeah, MRI, CT scan, MRI, Echo. Yeah. And then I used to joke, we used to joke with my brother that it would be really great to have a full MRI to know what was going on with your body. But let me tell you, you don't want to oh. know because you know what they found? They found, um, I've got hemangiomas in my spine. So I've got three, they're benign, which were obviously I had to wait for the appointment, but they, there's, I've got three spots in my spine, which we're going to deal with later because they're not, they're not doing anything, but obviously you don't really want to know, do you? You know, I've been my- this is what, this is what Matt always used to say is like, I'm in pain because I've got cancer. But then as soon as you go into the system... It's everything. It's everything. Any and it's thing. constant. Yeah. Um, so I, didn't I mean, know I've that got... Yeah, yeah. Then, I mean, yeah. I made my peace with it. I made my peace with it. Because one of them apparently is covering 50% of my spinal cord. Mm. And I was like, isn't that, like, dangerous? Does that mean, like, I'm going to I'm gonna finish cancer and then, what, get paralysed? I ain't got time mm. for that, right? <laughs> so they were like, the thing is, they were like... Come back and sit. We'll have to, to mon- they don't know how long they've been there, do they? Because they discover these things. So it's like, we'll do another MRI in six months. And I, for lots of complicated reasons, I missed that MRI. And then my doctor was like, let's just do it when you finish chemo. It's not complicated reasons, Julia. You are a woman that is under 65, working, living, navigating life. This is what I mean. People, I people missed don't the letter. Say, There's loads like, of can- letters. No, but, uh, no, but the, the cancer for younger people. I'm not trying. It's not an it's evil. It's very overwhelming. Or, it's very overwhelming. And if you're retired and you've got yeah, because everyone in my support group, most of them are older than me. There are a few young young people. Yeah, but it's different, isn't it? it you know, is, they're it's retired. So they've got different. their partner. It's so different. Yeah, it is a bit different. So yeah, so I'm sorry. I just wanted no, you to be kind to yourself in terms of missing. Yeah, no, thank yeah. you. So 
Yeah, so I went to the machine. We had all the MRIs and the whatever, and the da 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 da. Uh, yeah. So then I, I just, I saw the surgeon once more, I think, and he showed me. You know, mm-hmm. they showed me the scan of the tumor, and I took a picture, and he got angry because you're not, you're not allowed to even have your own data. I did take a picture because I was Good. like. <laughs> I used to record them as well. I need to say this because people are like, you record them. Like, of course I record them. Yeah, yeah. Because they say so much. They do. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Again, it come, maybe it comes from my journalistic background, but I recorded all of my meetings. I would I do d- it on the sly in the beginning and I'd just go, and then I'd just go in and put it on the table because they just know me, man. It's just like, just get over it. <laughs> the dictaphone. No, I didn't have the dictaphone or the um, phone. I wish I had, though, in a way. Matt would have been like, no, Chantel. But um, I would just sit there and write Take notes because it's a lot of constantly, information. Constantly. And in the beginning, I would miss lots because what I would do is I'd treat like a journalism. So I'd record them. And then on the Sunday, I would sit at home and I'd transcribe it and I'd write down everything they said. And I'd be like, oh, OK, because you, you do miss things because it's a lot of information. Mm. You're emotional anyway, whether you pretend that you are or not. You are. Right. Because it's this life threatening thing. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I could die. OK. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a whole different ball mm-hmm. game looking mm-hmm. at life and whatever. So, yeah, so I just used to record them and I, you know, as I'd file everything away and da 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 da. And so when they'd say things like, because, yeah, so we'll get, a, we'll get into the, the machine of the appointments, the text messages, the letters, and sometimes they make mistakes. So, so when they made mistakes, I'd be like, no, I didn't get that letter. I didn't get a text message. Something's gone wrong here because. You know, I'd have the file. I was very meticulous. Everything goes in my phone. And they'd be like, are you sure you didn't? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'd, I'd just front them out. I remember one time this woman asked me like four times if I was sure I didn't get this appointment. And I just had to say to her, I'm really sorry, but I'm sure. Mm. You know, so you go into that. So, But I, I started chemo really quickly. May, I've definitely started chemo by May. And were you on a um, 12-week cycle, six-week cycle? I think it was 12 weeks and then 15. It was supposed to be 12 weeks and then 15 weeks. And then right? did you have your surgery? Yeah, and then my surgery. So with my chemo, I went into A&E, I don't know, three or four times. Did you, babe? Yeah, A&E is eight hours. So I've got everything's like a little template for me now. Mm. If, they, if they say, oh, like the other day I had to go a couple of weeks ago. They were like, oh, you're going to have to go to A&E. I was like, okay, today's done. Mm. Went in at one, came out at nine. It's the time okay. as well. Yeah, time. So you forget, but you have to forget about time. Yeah, you do. You do have to forget about time. And you also like, you, it's so hard to make plans. I'd never make plans you on can't. the day when I was going to the hospital for anything. No, even but like, I mean, routine. kind of long term ones. Yeah. Like, well, if there's an appointment then, we can't do that. Or if I'm going to be in treatment then, we can't do that. Yeah, all my treatments are mapped out until September. And so I know what my good weeks are, my bad weeks are. So when someone gives me a date, I look at the date and I'm like, mm, that's four days after chemo. Mm, maybe, yeah, yeah. probably not. But that week, that week when you're, is it's not a chemo week, we used to like, that would be like heaven. I've been out every day this week. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It would be like, I, it's so hard to talk about this stuff without it seeming like a cliche but like the way you come to appreciate life mm. and the little things for me and for Matt and for Matt's daughters who I'm listeners all know on the show that I'm very very close with there was a blessing to have time when he wasn't in treatment to have the time mm. when he wasn't um, bits of time when he wasn't unwell that we could do quote unquote normal stuff yeah that's right just doing normal stuff being yeah. able to being able to eat yeah <laughs> being hungry and want to eat yeah being able to taste food right being able to think 
mm, if I go on this non-liquid diet, am I going to be constipated tomorrow? Yeah. And then I'm going to suffer, right? Yeah. You know, even things like the other day, I opened a a can. I don't drink a lot of canned drinks because it's not sugar. And, you know, mm-hmm. as you get older, you have to eat less. So um, I opened this can and I couldn't open the can when I was under chemotherapy because my nails would fall off if I did that. Yeah. So again, something so simple, simple as that was actually like, oh my God, I'm opening a can. This is amazing. I could do it on my I don't have to hand it over to my brother because I went to live with my brother for a little while. Yeah. Don't have to hand it over to my brother to open the can for me, you know. In a similar kind of vein, um, the cans, let's say the cans come out the fridge. Matt would not be able to hold the can because he had neuropathy so badly. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is where you get pins and needles yeah, in your hands bit. and you feel the cold. You're, you're, you're just so sensitive to the cold and to the hot. Mm. So he would have gloves on all the time and would be incredibly cold a lot of the time, but feel it in his yeah fingers and oh, toes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The food thing and the drink thing and the, the nausea. Yeah. yeah, I think I... What did I do? The first chemo I had... It's hard to remember sometimes. I, I, I didn't get too nauseous, right? So well, I'd like to think of myself as an intelligent person. I like my brain, right? So, you know, you have the chemo and you take the Dom Perisone anti-nausea tablet. Dom P, me and Matt yeah. used to call that, it. That, that the Dom P. <laughs> that makes you a bit, that yeah. can, you know, it can affect you because they say, you know, don't drive, don't drive. Like, they used to drive on some bits, but then they... And then when you have the chemo, they give you the steroid. The dexter- I was on the dextamethasone. This, Matt would be on when you had and the steroid. One, he was on it. He was like, yeah, he'd yeah, be yeah, tapping yeah, on the yeah, laptop. Yeah. He'd be like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. I'm like, yeah. And then the steroids obviously start to, yeah. Kick in. Yeah, so yeah. that's like, I call that the space cadet tablet. And mm. you have to take that for three days. And then because uh, chemo decimates, because you're basically poisoning your body, right? Mm-hmm. So it decimates your immune system, right? So they give you um, the, the Zario, the injections. You have to inject yourself in your stomach yeah. and you have to start that like on the third day and then you do it for eight days and yeah. then you have a few injection-free days. You're like, woohoo, you know. So then there was the injections. You know, I ate three meals a day. I, I was I was still working and I was I was having a very, very bad relationship with my employer, right? Mm. Line manager, employer, whatever you want to call it. I don't care, right? I'm... And I'm just going to say right now, they didn't care that no. I had cancer, right? They were much more interested in getting me out than they were that I had cancer. And I remember I had a, um, they were investigating me because I tweet too much. So <laughs> I had a meeting with the woman, this HR, they brought out this independent HR woman. And she said to me, oh, um, I just wanted to ask you what measures have been put in place. Sorry. Like, and Sorry. I was like, I was like, none. I said they're too busy trying to get rid of me. And she I could see the look on her face. Employment hor- employment law. She was horrified. She was absolutely horrified. It went into that space. So I actually worked all the way through my early chemo. Yeah. What are people of working age supposed to do? That's very true. Yeah. Like, I mean it is true. Yeah. What are you supposed to do? I mean, I was lucky that I'm privileged and I'm a lecturer and that I'm not I'm not out I used to say to people, I'm not out here cracking rocks, right? Yeah. You know, I'm teaching and i'm on the computer and whatever yeah and so i was still working throughout that time until we wrapped up like you know you get the bit where you sign off all the degree courses and whatever and then and then the year's finished that was like more deep into the summer Mm. and so yeah i found it difficult because i because the problem is is the battle becomes about infection so i had all these different infections i mean i don't know how queasy people are but you know, things happen to me and I'm like, oh my God, you get something 
Like I got thrush in my mouth, yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah. I didn't know you get thrush in your mouth. Yeah, and um, let me tell well, you, yeah. it nearly closed up my throat to the point where I thought I couldn't breathe. I was calling the night doctor, mm. who was rubbish, right? Oh, listen, and um, yeah, and I learned over time. I got a blood clot in my arm, and then I had to have injections for seven weeks. So for loads, so I was I cried that time. I think that was one of the first mm. or second times I cried because that meant that I'd have to have two injections every day. So I'd have to have the clexane to thin my blood to get rid of this blood clot which I got because of a mistake and then I would have to have the Zario you know and Mm. that was just like this is but this is I think Julia like a really fundamental part of when you enter the cancer system and treatment over the umbrella of treatment so what needs to be included within the umbrella of treatment or the umbrella of treating any chronic um, illness is that the things that we use or the medicines that we use to fight that can only be used if our bodies are well enough well enough to take them absolutely so what i mean by that is the thing that people don't talk about well they do talk about it but uh, it does there is obviously a lot of literature a lot of radio shows there's a lot of conversations like what me and julia are having now um but we're talking about the particulars of our of our situations but Mm. I feel like one of the things that I wish I'd known more about is what happens if things don't go to plan? I'll tell you what happens. You're fucking delayed constantly. Yeah, so you, you, think you're having, you think you're having chemo this week? No, 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 no. 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 Your, bloods not, your bloods aren't good enough. Aren't good enough. Yeah, this white is enough. Cat's too high. That's not well enough. Ain't got enough red so that, cells. So that means that you're, you're on the back foot. You're on the yeah. back foot constantly. You're not... Like the thing that kept Matt going mentally all the time is right how do I make more progress how do I make more progress and the reality is the battle of cancer is I mean I, I feel I saw look at me the reality is I was just I was Matt's carer I didn't have I don't yeah, but have it is the a reality for but you. yeah there. The, rea- I mean? the reality is like the battle is dealing with the inconsistencies the unexpected things as well as mm. the actual treatment and how that makes your body feel and how awful and crippling that is the real battle is your resilience to mm. deal with when things do not go to plan and that happens a hell of a lot. Yeah, it happens a lot. I got um what happened? The first yeah, I was supposed to get a pick line. You have like quite a tap, right? Oh the, Matt had a um the poor the poor yeah, yeah. might they might not have had good veins. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he oh the vein that's another thing. The vein he used to he he was very, very, very calm man, um, my husband. But he no, did used to get frustrated. They have to get the plebotomist. I'm sorry. Yeah, like some of the they nurses, get one, one like shot. they get one one shot. No, because he was, and he got very obviously he was very frail, frail towards the end. They struggled to get his veins, and they would be like, "Oh, sorry, Mister Miller, sorry, Mister Miller." No, and I'm like, "Listen, no. where's your where's your manager? Let yeah. them do it. Like we're not we're in so much get pain constantly. Get the ultrasound. Yeah, <laughs> go away. Because when sometimes when. <laughs> They want me to take blood and it's not proper. I have to go to the blood draw. And it's funny because my aunt, um, I've got a, a niece, not a cousin that's a midwife. Mm. And then my aunt, my mum's sister, she's worked, you know, within admin. Mm. And she talks about, oh, yeah, yeah, they're blood draw people. They're only like grade two. They make them practice on an orange for three days and they <gasps> dash them into the, dash listen, them into the ward. Right. right. And so look, this is no disrespect to nurses or anything. I know you all are just doing your best and I love yeah. and write that you everyone is just doing their they best are, they are and they are saving am, my life and i'm very grateful yeah but 
you know, you have however, to take, you can't be passive. Listen, there's a couple of you mistakes can't be that I've in saved cancer. myself yes. from. Yes, <gasps> the amount the of if, times. The, if those things had gone through, I'd be, you know, might not be able to talk to you properly right now. Yeah. Right? No, so, Julia, honestly, I think it was after about six months, me and Matt realised actually you have to manage them we have to manage this like mm. we have to be and then as i said like there's loads of literatures and books and stuff that we read um and that we and podcasts we listen to and they everyone says the same like you have to be in control of your mm. cancer that you can't you can't be a patient basically you have to be a project manager yeah you actually you know what that is a re- that is perfect you do and i was and i treated it like work i had everything all filed away i had all my appointments in there I would ask a lot of questions like because obviously I'm an academic mm-hmm. it's not just that I've, I I read academic papers when I wasn't an academic mm-hmm. I've always been an avid reader preferring non-fiction right? Julia you're interested and interesting yeah I like stuff so mm-hmm. I would read it good and obviously I know medical racism is real right I didn't even want to go to my hospital because I consider it a ghetto hospital and I get all my health care done <laughs> somewhere else right so when my nurse wanted to refer me to this place, I was like, no. And she was like, no, you have to go. If she wasn't so insistent and it was a breast care specialist place, I'm not going to hot them up. It's not their fault. They've treated me good. But I do all my stuff in Guys in St. Thomas's normally. And that's, that's where Boris epic, went. That's, that's, a epic, no. that's an epic hospital, yeah, that is. An epic hospital. Yeah. The cancer bit's nice there as yeah, well, isn't it? It's got the little my, like, yeah, yeah. glass dome bit. Yeah, yeah guys. They don't like, do my type of cancer there. So it's oh. like, oh, I let them off. But... um. <laughs> Even when my mum had a year where she was her, she had high blood pressure, her heart was being investigated. And when I, I tell people this story, they laugh. But I went to, I think it was in 2019. But anyway, we went there. Chaos. It was just after the New Year's. Chaos in there. All the machines are all brought down, not working. They couldn't get an ECG that was working. They had to. On the system, on the desk, there was a screensaver and it said that the hospital was in code black. And what code black is. It means because Julia went and researched. Yeah, what's code? Yeah, you know me. I don't. What's code? Like, what's code? Code black. Code black is when the hospital is running at full capacity. So they're full to the brim. They can't take any more. They can't do any more. And this was pre-lockdown. Pre- right. This so is they what were brimming. They weren't coping before COVID nineteen. And this is what I keep saying. Well, what I kept saying to people before the lockdown, right? Before COVID nineteen, because we had a we have a very intimate relationship with hospitals and they were the medical service. Anyway. Right? Brexit, people were leaving. There's no nurse. There was no nurses. People were leaving. People had, people had been leaving, and everything was on the floor. And I'm like, when the lockdown was coming, I was like, Matt, what is going to happen? Because I know that we have to like battle when we're even on the ward what's going to happen with lockdown and then the reality was which me and matt being middle class family and couple were able to navigate it didn't stop it being painful but the reality of lockdown for cancer patients number one meant that some people didn't get their treatment Mm. because they needed the beds for their what their fucking nightingale wards they took loads of the cancer beds and nightingale wards yeah so there was that reality and the other reality was that matt would then spend the rest of his life when he was in treatment on his own oh because they were because some people get in though you see certain people get in and sometimes i see i mean not I black people yeah, with their, with yeah, not, exactly. doesn't even matter that that was white negotiating the politics of being a black woman in a hospital fucking hell well they knew I'm not me joking. Anyway. i teach yeah, yeah, people yeah, yeah. how to treat me no but, but they they learn later on because i'm yeah. sometimes a bit like i've got a face with sometimes people think that i'm i'm not serious 
I, it, it has to get to that point where I'm like, no, I am serious. And I know everything about my husband's cancer. The negotiating that, even though I can do it, that's exhausting. Mm, it is. It's really draining. But yeah. then Matt having to do his chemotherapy on his own. Oh. Honestly, like, again, we were very, we're very privileged, strong relationship, strong family. We're good. But I just constantly was thinking about all the people that are having to do that yeah, on their own. Yeah, you see the partners. I mean, I did all my on my own and I don't know what's the matter. I mean, I never really thought about doing it with anybody. To be fair, and also to be fair, yeah. Matt was like, I'm fine. I'm fine yeah. on my own. I'm fine on my own. But, but it's, sometimes it's good to have somebody else. And I think, um, you know, I'd see people with their partners outside, but sometimes I'd see people that, yeah, normally, that, yeah, not looking like us. Then they, I'd see two people and I'm like, how are you getting, you know? Yeah. But, but people, you should the way some, some of these, because we're in London as well. There's a lot, a lot of posh white people here. Yeah, yeah. Navigating what we're navigating. They moan. They moan. The way they. How are you complaining at these people that are literally saving your life? Yeah, the way they talk to them sometimes. Such and such, you know, he's been waiting and da 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 da. You could go in and wait for hours. I never used to make no plans. Maybe I'd get a chair in half an hour. Maybe I'd get a chair in three and a half hours. It's like, it is what it is, right? You know, but some of them, they'd be moaning da 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 da. And I'd be like, mm, you're letting these people put cytotoxin in your veins, yeah? And you're going to be cussing them out. <gasps> okay. <laughs> That's not how I would be rolling. Oh, but, dear. Mm. but yeah, like, I guess I don't like to get into some of the sort of distractive politics around like party gate and what have you. But I'm not going to lie to you. Hearing about how those dickheads that run the country were just living their life with wine and cheese. They were living their best life living with Tesco Shamps. Living their best life whilst I couldn't even go to chemotherapy with my husband. And given, like, look, we were fine and we managed it, but it, it, it did really piss me off. Like, Matt luckily didn't pass away during the lockdown. People, but, like, the amount of people that couldn't... Like, it's just... It's, like, it's even, just can't believe the, the injustice of it. Like, you know, I'm going to say, white people rise up, man. White people right, are thinking, come on, come on it's your time. On. It's it your, is your time. time. Your time is now. And things like right? cancer can be like, a unifying thing. Yeah, like, well, that's, like that's, it is really what they've done. I don't even know what to say. It's funny enough, we just did a new nationwide and it's all about, really, it's all about white people, right? Because right. it's like, it's, their, it's them. They voted them in, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, they've got to vote them out, yeah. right? Yeah, that's it. That is it. Because they would say, what would it take? And I'm like, oh. Dog food prices going through the roof. That's what it would <laughs> that take. That is so accurate. Yeah, they'd be on the streets <laughs> in 20 minutes, right? I'm, me and Matt are blessed and lucky to be able to constantly, even though deep the intimate and personal relationship we had with cancer, we always found ways, and the kids did this as well, yeah. things could be worse or things... We're lucky to be in. Yeah. We're lucky to like having cancer in London. That's a, that's a whole other podcast episode because we have like some of the, the best oncologists. Best yeah, surgeon. we're really lucky. We're really lucky, and I know so many I these met people, people in, that came from train had to stay in I Airbnb. Yeah, but pe- people having chemotherapy, then having to get trains back to other yeah. parts of the UK. Like shout out to anyone on this, listening to this podcast now outside of major cities navigating cancer mm. in this in, in with a health service which is on the floor. Like honestly, like I really. My my heart goes out to you. Yeah. Like it really is so hard. It's a real, it's a real tough slog, and I think that, you know, I guess unless you've lived it or you're next door to somebody that's lived it, 
you know it, it's a very difficult because it's all the little things isn't it mm-hmm. it's all the and it just takes up takes up so much time and there's so much time when you don't feel like yourself you don't feel well you don't feel good enough to do things because sometimes i i'd hit a point and i'd be like oh god i haven't done this i haven't done that and then it'd be like uh you've been ill exactly you know, be nice to yourself I didn't, I didn't yeah. want to work didn't want to do any work that week because i could didn't feel like i could work right and then it's like and then I, now everything gets chopped around the chemo to the point where even the students i'd be like well this this can have to be online mm. i even i did some i don't know if i even say that but you know i i'm open with i've always been open with my students yeah. right my second when i was teaching secondary and now not too open i know boundaries they're not my friends right but mm. um no but it's about know, setting boundaries for yourself like yeah. this is what i always I try to do this week like yeah. this is the week after my treatment so the assessment day is here so i'm bringing it a week forward who can do a week forward and most of them are like yeah i'll do it i'll do it i'll do it i'll do it mm-hmm. so it's been and you know my new employer is very accommodating no issues thankfully um but yeah I'm, i definitely made a mistake going back full-time straight away i should not have done that and that's what matt did that as well yeah and we're we're adjusting that for this okay. year i'm working out you know because i know my chemo is going to run till the end of the year anyway because that's as well i think another thing that is really important to talk about with cancer is the fatigue and tiredness mate i just feel like at the beginning when you get like the macmillan packs and stuff and it's like all right these are side effects of chemo this is what's fatigue, gonna happen constipation diarrhea no but i don't feel like there was as much emphasis on the sleep fatigue and tiredness stuff i don't think so because i had to learn to rest thing. more yeah learn to and someone like so my husband was just incredible but relentless never stops never ever stops but someone like him that's part of his personality and who he is like dealing with the like hair loss sickness all that stuff is shit but i know for a fact the hardest thing for him was the fatigue yeah because you want to work and i was like that i I'd get up at six o'clock in the morning yeah. so that i could and go and sit at the, my desk obviously it's lockdown so yeah. i would sit at the desk and work so that if well, by the time I tapped out like early afternoon, I'd technically done like yeah uh, eight hours or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, was that to get before your chemo appointment? Uh, not all the way. I worked all the way through. I yeah, think yeah, because again, yeah. yeah, I can't be there trashing these poor people because they're like. Ah. But anyway, but there was a scenario where I had to do a lot of work because somebody wouldn't let me bring in other people to do the work and uh they were because because they decided that you know when someone's bullying you they're bullying you mm-hmm. right and it don't matter whether you've got cancer or not if they've decided that that's it and especially i think especially as a black woman mm-hmm. where people don't see your humanity right i don't think that could have happened with somebody else because mm-hmm. they probably would have just mm-hmm. passed out and not done any of the work and mm-hmm. just left it all there but anyway so there was a scenario where i was left with a lot of work that had to be done mm. and so it had to be done mm. entranced that's it it had mm. to get done it got it all got done i was not going to let my students down the way sometimes people respond to cancer and that like they can't quite believe that things as you say do still get done it's like what do you want us to do like it's taken over every single part of our lives it, these things have to get done yeah they so get done oh, i can't believe you man to do that can't believe well, what would you do yeah. we live in a, a, a capitalist society so, yeah, like I mean, some people like no... oh, they don't work and it's like how do you not work i relax a lot more now Good. and i would That's i really, would actively really, yeah. work less now like, you know to a level you know but 
I think I had to learn. I learned that I had better. I call them better chemo's, but what I mean is better cycles. When you were rested. When once I'd had the chemo, I went to bed whether I felt tired or not or whatever. So now in my diary, it's Cadsila. It's the drug that I'm on now. And then there's three days of rest. It's rest, rest, rest. So I know mm. don't put anything in those days. Even though I did try to put something in tomorrow, but don't put anything in those days. Have the three days and then see how you feel. Right? I yeah. I, that was a constant battle between. But me that and took Matt. me. It took me. Like, I think it took me four or five months to get to that place. I don't think you ever fully got there. You know, once I went to the hospital and I didn't have my laptop and they were like, where's your laptop? Where's your bag? Yeah. You're always working on your laptop. As Matt, as Matt exactly the same. Yeah, because I'd be in there like... Constantly tapping, the constantly working. The Wi-Fi is good. It's like, yeah, 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 it's good. Um, Rome as well. Hmm? Rome. I can I can never get edgy room to work outside oh. of the university. People say it works for them in other places, yeah. but for me, oh. I've never experienced it. Did you have at any point, talking about chemotherapy, a cold mm. cap? No, I was really lucky. That is really lucky. And I had a black nurse, one of the nurses in the unit, I call it the BCU, the breast care unit. <laughs> uh, early on, I asked her about the cold cap and she says, it doesn't work on black people. The hair's too curly. That you'd have to wear, you have to wear it for two hours before and two hours after. And so I just cut my hair short. She said, and she said, you won't be able to save it. She said, so I let my hair go very quickly. I cut it short and I hated it. Um, and I used to wear loads of wigs before anyway. Mm-hmm. It's funny, I was with wigs for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And then I went natural. Got my hair to a point where I really liked it. And then, yeah, great, cancer. Okay, fine. Now you're just going to wipe this hair off my head. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. So, um, but I mean, again, I was really silly. I used to do things like, <laughs> I read this thing and it said that you'd lose your hair between day 14 and day 17, mm. right? So... And I went into a support group as well and I was going to get it cane road and put a wig on it. And when I went into the support group, there was a black lady in there. I was very lucky. Brilliant. Actually, I need to shout out uh, Black Moon Rising. It's a special charity for black women that have cancer. That's amazing. She said, no, you can't do anything that pulls because it will just come out. Yeah, because you're putting pressure on yeah, the follicles. Yeah, so I didn't know that. Yeah. So I used to do silly things like my brother would come around and I'd just snatch a bit of hair out in front of him and he'd be like, oh God, no. Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you, and then eventually what I did is I just, I rubbed it all, it sounds really weird, I just rubbed it all off one day because I just thought, I don't want to be all like patchy, mm-hmm. cancer victim. So I was just like, let me just be bald, clap the wig on. Bought a nice colourful wig, so let's go. Mm. You know, and so I did it like that. The hair loss, yeah, Matt struggled massively. It's a, you know, with it. it's such. It's, it's, I obviously, I feel like there's been loads written about this, and this has been spoken about a, a lot. But it is so such a bit. It's the thing that used to be really play on his heart, like his hair. Yeah, like really, I really did. I could like. I would never like my hair's growing back now, and it's short. But I don't, I don't like it. And everyone's like, oh, it grows great. back differently, doesn't it? Yeah. So basically, I know too much about everything. So what happens <laughs> is, right, I think it releases, your the, your curl is determined by the, the angle of the shaft in your scalp, right? right? And I think the chemo must relax that angle. So it's not, because if it's, if it's like a curve, then mm-hmm. it goes in a coil, right? So I think the chemo must relax the angle because it doesn't come out as curly. It comes out like sort of baby hair. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it comes and out as kind of like yeah. baby hair. So um, 
It doesn't feel thinner. Oh, okay. But it just feels like baby hair. To be honest, it's a bit more annoying because the wig, wig always sits better on the bald you, head. You, but you got, you always have great wigs. You've always, yeah, great I love wigs. wigs. Yeah, and just we're getting into the nitty gritty of it. But your chemotherapy has never affected your skin, has it? Oh yeah. Oh, you have. Oh, okay. Sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, sorry, no, sorry. no. Sorry, yes, yeah, so Matt. Some so because Matt had a treatment which gave him severe acne everywhere. Acne. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. What did they? Do? What? Oh. It's a, it's a stand. So we'd put would put the steroid cream on. Yeah. Every day, um, twice a day. That was that. So the hair and that like was was really and it's really very hard personal. and it's very personal yeah. matt like me we're quite vain people like like dressing nice and that was that was really hard yeah, it it was, and, hard. and again it comes back i'm not saying when but you're older you beanies or anything i wouldn't do this because i never ever let people really see my so when head. his I was skin was the beanie. worst it was locked down luckily yeah but it was the itching and the quantity of the spots as well but again like I'm not saying that older people don't like looking nice or anything like that, but being of working age, like you don't want to look a, like like you, you don't want to look like you have can, you want to look like a cancer victim. This is what right? Matt, Matt's Matt's slogan was: "I do not want to be Mr. Cancer." Exactly. Yeah, and that's why a lot of times I tell loads of people. Yeah, and and then every once in a while people go, oh, "Your tweets," because every once in a while I was going to have two separate accounts and I couldn't be bothered. I got lazy. No, so I do I just, think I, I was do like, think... no, this is too much like work. So in the end, I just threw some of the cancer tweets in my normal account. I think that it's some people have the space to be open and some people don't and i respect both people both yeah, parties because it's your choice and it, it is your choice but also i do think that me and matt used to talk about this all the time we have to find ways to n- normalize chronic conditions but also normalize life in a way that considers the unexpected and yeah. the unexpected being the actually like I am gonna have cancer as a young man, and what does that mean? mean and yeah. Like, I think that as, always assuming, like when people say, "Oh, I've got a five-year plan," I'm like, "Good luck." Like yeah. people are obsessed with plan, and I get it, I get it, but I will never be that person anymore. Now, no, neither would never. I. Never, and like, I think there's something beautiful about that. Um, but also, it's diff- it's hard, isn't it? But mm. I just, you never want to be when you have that news, and you know that moment when you get that news. Yeah. Um. I don't know what that that was like internally for you and Matt. I can only empathise, but I know what that was like as the carer. And I just remember having like a physical reaction and like thinking life is not what I thought it would be. No, it's not. It's like, you know, I'm, you know, my grandmother's in her 90s. Yeah. Um, My, on my paternal grandparents both died sort of 70s, 80s. Um, You know, my mum's in her 70s. Um, and so you don't expect somebody to tell you at 49 that you've got this massive tumour growing in your chest and, and, and perhaps if you hadn't bought that stupid sports bra it would have spread you know mm. I got very lucky I caught it incredibly quickly um, I went straight into the machine it hadn't hit my lymph nodes again That's very so lucky good. very 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 lucky I think maybe another month or so because it was growing so fast and that could have been, you know, it could have been a different story. And this is a really important point, I guess, to sort of win it, we're sort of coming to the end now, but um, with younger people, cancer spreads quicker and can be more aggressive. Mm. 
um, and not many people know that. I think you people assume like, oh, because you're older, that means that like, cancer's gonna work harder. No, like it's in younger bodies. Because you know, your metabolism harder. is faster. And Matt's and... metabolism was mad, absolutely mad. But sometimes it worked to our advantage. So chemotherapy. Matt was like a chemotherapy veteran. It just used to work and work and work. It shrink those tumors. You get them taken out, no. but it would always come back. Mm. Always. And come they didn't back. have anything to stop them from coming back. I mean. We so we'd have we'd have um, bouts of well, series of cycles of se- chemotherapy for twelve weeks, and then we'd have a scan um, afterwards, and the tumors would always shrink, and it was really good. But the thing that happened, which was obviously devastating um, for me and Matt, was he got his diagnosis in twenty seventeen. It spread everywhere, but it was they were in places that were operable, mm. so he had the chemotherapy had surgery so we had bowel resection and liver resection and then he had a bit of chemotherapy after that and he was quote unquote clear oh and they got rid of loads of lymph nodes as well mm. um he was quote unquote clear but then within six weeks we went for a scan it had come back everywhere everywhere yeah and see that's the thing right so when I've got these three pictures, which I'm not supposed to have, although technically it is my body. Mm. But it's the tumour in the beginning when yeah. they first MRI. But that becomes the tumour. The, the, the second origi- one. It's the second, yeah. And the, which, where it shrunk a little bit. Yeah. And the third one where it looked like it was gone. It looked like the tumour was gone. It was just a marker because they put a marker in yeah. because she said it could shrink to the point where they wouldn't be able to see it in surgery and they would just go and cut around the marker, mm. right? But then when I went for my pathology report, which is the meeting you have after surgery... You know, he I I had three centimeters of residual cancer, so mm. that lot that that so that makes me think I never went deep with them because you know, but it just makes me because because I said to the doctor, well, the scan was clear, and then he said to me that was a radiological response, mm. right? And I just think they just don't know, yeah, until they cut in, they get in there yeah. and they look yeah. and they test. They yep. can't spot it all. They can't. And that's the biggest fear, isn't it? Yeah. Because even I know that there could just be little bits. I mean, funnily enough, not funnily enough, I had to have a, I had a mammogram, emergency mammogram last week because I felt a lump. And again, they were good. I called them. But what it was, was it's when you have the, um, when you have radiotherapy, it, it changes the tissue. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was feeling. But obviously I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very grateful for the fact that they did. They, I went in, I did the ultrasound or whatever, and it's all clear, fine. Mm. But, um, you know, and so that makes me feel a little bit better. I've got, because that thing has happened to me, I've got that little bit of comfort. Yeah, you but have you, to take those moments, but don't you? So many people in my support group have had recurrences or they've done the surgery and had to go back in again because they didn't get good margins. But again, I'm extra. So I asked my surgeon what margins he was going to take because I read a paper that said that there isn't a standard and it's between one millimetre and five millimetres. Me and my doctor, he, you know, you, they know me. Yeah. Because even when he showed me the, he wouldn't let me take the picture because he clocked my game. He said, I'm going to show it to you, but you have to put your phone over there. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so I put my phone over there and then he showed me the residual cancer yeah. and da, 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 da. So he knew that I needed the detail. Yeah. You know, but um, yeah. And so that made me think, well, they just, they just don't they, they don't know it all do they and that is what Matt used to say is like Sean they don't know how long I'm gonna live they don't know what the cancer's necessarily doing they can make estimates yeah. all the time 
and they'll but, always make the shortest one because yeah. they don't want anyone to go you said i had xyz yeah but on the positive note i know that i want to live and i want to take and grab any all bits of life yeah. all bits of our life by by the scruff and enjoy it what i can and try and find spaces to live as normal life as possible sorry i'm getting upset now no um it's okay it's okay to be I upset think that, um again it's really hard not to be cliche about this but so much of cancer but also chronic illnesses in general it's the mental battle it is because i had a little um, i had a dip and you I have to invest had. it like we had to get therapy almost straight away i had therapy you have to away. have you I have therapy to every therapy week because it is so much as soon as you lose that mental strength or mental resilience that's when things start to to, yeah. to fall down i've seen people in the chemotherapy day unit that look broken that's the only way yeah. to describe it yeah they've let it break them and sometimes you want to talk to them and say like you know yeah you know but um but the mental battle is strong i think when when i found out i was gonna have to have post-surgery chemo when it sunk in yeah I think I had a dip because then it's like, what? like what? again more. Yeah, it's more. always like what more? You're gonna prod me more. You're gonna take me. Yeah, or just not go out. I mean, technically, I, sh- I don't shield. I went raving last week, but no. But it's like I can't. To, you have to no, live a you bit. Have to li- and also like the pandemic. Oh. Yeah, we didn't even get to the pandemic no, stuff. We got, yeah, li- we got to bit. a little bit of it. Like, but we can. I think what I. In the beginning, I was grateful because then no one was going out. I couldn't go out. No yeah. one was going out. There weren't opportunities because I was vulnerable because mm-hmm. they said to me, it's not, the problem isn't getting COVID, although it would be an issue, but it's it's testing. You're not allowed in the chemo day unit unless you test negative. So by the yeah. time I got this Omicron, is what they said to Matt. This is what they said to Matt as well. And people didn't believe me. I'm like, no, like COVID actually isn't that much of a threat to Matt and his cancer. It's getting the negative tests and being able to come in. Yeah, it took me 30 days to test negative on a PCR because I got Omicron over Christmas. Mario, and like, I was luckily day. it yeah. wasn't too deep or whatever. But then... You couldn't have your treatment. I couldn't have my treatment. And, you know, and that could have been for someone with things that are fast growing lucky that was post-surgery mm. right but if that was it but i was much more vigilant pre-surgery mm. you know i used to buy the everyone's wearing i was wearing ffp2s when people were still wearing cloth masks mm. because i did i read all the papers and the research and you know and stuff and like i was wearing ffp3s for a while because i don't know if you say i used to call it my bane mask because it's <laughs> like it looks like it's got the metal lines and it's just it's yeah, like there's yeah, nothing yeah. getting in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I used to I used to wear those all the time, even though they look really ugly. I was like, well, boy, this is what it is. You know, it is. I need to get into my treatment. Yeah, but I think uh, it's really funny. I follow a really interesting lady on Twitter who had again a cancer that they thought they couldn't even fix, and she's okay now. But she does lots of stuff around death and dreams and stuff and mortality, and she's vulnerable. Mm. You know. And she tweets about it all the time in America. The, all the vulnerable people, they've just been abandoned, man. They're just like. Mm you know it's terrible it's really really bad and that's what i mean like throughout all of it we just constantly felt so lucky because we had each other like Mm. um and that was really 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 important the other thing we didn't get to talk about is sort of naturopath stuff um and me and matt for about for about nearly a year we did we carried on doing chemotherapy, but alongside of like keto diets and mm. having less sugar, 
not not drinking but trying to um like taking supplements mm. yeah, um, I do. Yeah, I'm yeah, doing that. yeah but loads of people you only know what you know you're gonna do that because of you because of you because remember you sent me that oh, care package did, oh yeah, yeah and it yeah. had those ginger tablets yeah, in, yeah, yeah and they were really good with the nausea yeah um, and then i'd stop taking the anti-nausea on the third day and i would just be chewing on the ginger all the time yeah. and then through that you know i start. you know i was i've been on vitamin d for years anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. um and so I did vitamin D. You've I got did to take iron. Um, so your B twelve, you got your injections. Yeah, I buy B twelve injections. Yeah, B six for the um the paralysis. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I have it as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. um, B six for that. Although, again, they'll tell you different things. Like one person will prescribe it, and then you go to the oncologist and go, "Can you give me a repeat prescription?" And she's like, "Oh, that doesn't work." Oh, the oncologist can be sorry, oncologist. <laughs> like you're all legends, but sometimes you're f- effing annoying because like they. Matt used to say they act like messiahs yeah, because they do save people's lives all the time but it means that they can be quite inflexible about some things that are slightly alternative to chemotherapy chemotherapy obviously is the thing that fights cancer we know that I yeah. don't I'm not me and Matt were never one of these people that were ever going to take him out of the system and do complete natural but we did decide make a conscious decision to be like we need to do other stuff and they do make a difference it, it does, does make, make a, a difference. difference it really made a difference it does make a difference the iron the um, I think I had to stop taking the iron because I went on some antibiotics the other day. The iron, mm. trying to take the um, I found a new one now that if you have antibiotics and it wipes out all your good stuff, you can take this and it will help replenish all your natural active whatever. um active charcoal yeah yeah something um, like that MCT but that gives you quite bad diarrhea bones oh bone broth yes George is reminding me <laughs> George Tiso would come to the house and I'd be making bone broth for Matt yeah bone broth bone broth during chemotherapy yeah that's because it's iron isn't yes. it whereas I'll have steaks and stuff like yeah, yeah, that yeah 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 I mean I've again I've been lucky because you know I earn a decent wage yeah right? um and I'm not paying large amounts of rent that's what so I'm... I had a lot of disposable income so even things like having to buy special bras for after surgery you know they were 50 pounds a pop you couldn't go and buy them down in a the market they That's don't do I that like, there's a whole class. like industrial cl- cancer machine of oh, like we haven't even got it. yeah we, didn't we haven't even get, we haven't even get into that yeah, we didn't even get into that people like, are making coin people are making coin like <laughs> there's a whole industrial complex. there's a, the industrial and it's so again like coming back to us being like we're so lucky like it's so classed it's so class i could always would think about like I do feel for people sometimes. Like I'd see some of the, some people in there, and it's like you can't intervene for everybody. No, do you, know what I mean? you can't because you're and trying to survive yeah, yourself. Yeah, and it's like in the support group I'm in. Sometimes I want to say more things, but everyone gets their little. You know, everyone gets to tell their little story, and I don't have enough time because mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh, well, I got rid of. I did that because for that, and I did that for that. And there was another really good lady in my support group this week that gave phrases. She gave phrases to say when you want to reduce your timetable but temporarily she's mm. all you have to say it like this because then that way it's a temporary thing and, mm. da, 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 da. and it's like that's why isn't that in any of these books yeah right that you know these books need some of these books need rewriting and mm. they really need to tell you to watch out for certain things like you know like we were saying about the skin i lost all the skin on my hands and feet literally i was running around in white gloves like michael jackson right like proper i had to buy like 20 pairs of white cotton gloves because all it just all and it was called plumber's planter Mm. syndrome but there's a 40 percent chance of getting that so why didn't someone say for it attend some serious business they say look at the macmillan pack look at the that was was in the pack that was in the medical journals that i read and that's why i start getting vexed you know but i read loads of papers so much 
unknown and that you have to learn about when it happens. Yeah, it's work. That's why I say it's, it's work, work because you have to do all this reading. I felt like I needed to read all these journals, you know, and I'm not a medical professional. So that means that if I pick up this medical, you know, mm. journal article where they're talking about research and da 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 da. You know, I can't just read it, skim the 30 pages and be like, yeah, I got that down. You know what I mean? I've got to take it in and take it on board. And um, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of knowledge that will that will aid you. And I think because I am who I am, I'm, I'm that person within the medical system. I feel like I've definitely had a better experience because like. You know, and it means it makes you a survivor as well. Yeah, That's I guess it. so. Yeah, that is the reality. And I think you, as we said earlier, you can't be passive in it. And no, knowledge is power, unfortunately. Definitely. Um, and it's a lifesaver in it. It is. Yeah, I know people right now that have had a scenario where, like I said, they've gone in and then they've had to go back in mm. because they haven't got clear margins. Mm. But I know there's no way my doctor wouldn't get clear margins after we had that convo where I dropped the paper on him, you know what I mean? He's probably in there thinking, oh, this woman's <laughs> going to be checking. Yeah, 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 let me just make sure this is some clear thing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, so, and maybe it makes a difference, maybe it doesn't. But it's a back to the mental thing as well. Yeah. Like, if you feel like you're mentally... The thing about cancer is you lose control. Yeah. So you're constantly trying to find ways to get that control back. Yes. And even if it is, as you say, not making a difference, you have the sense of feeling like you have some bits of control. Yeah, when you know things and you're, you know, you've got your routine and whatever. Yeah. But staying positive, I think that's that is definitely key. The mental it is. battle. It mm. is. And look, I don't want anyone um I, I to think that um I'm coming from a place of like, oh, you need to watch out, you're all gonna get cancer now. But the reality is you never think it's going to happen to you. It's one in two, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, it's one in two now. You never people never think it's going to happen to you. It's and this is a lot of it's not about it's not about becoming hypochondriacs or anything like that. It's about listening to your body. Yeah, absolutely. Listening to your body, paying attention, but not but doing that in a way that is sustainable and managed and yeah, I don't want to scare anyone basically. Yeah, no, you I But equally I want people to take control where they can yeah be aware be assertive listen to your body and you can ask questions you can query things always ask the fucking questions sorry yeah. i have to swear but it's like <laughs> you have to ask it keep was. asking you have to prod them and even on this plague island when the, the med like um health is on the floor it's so even harder this stuff is even harder yeah, you have to advocate you have to be going out. like for example with the injections there came there came a point where I was sore everywhere and mm. I just couldn't cope anymore with the injections. And I spoke to the um the blood hemo. I spoke to the hemo guy and he was like, Oh, we can put you on a tablet. And I'm like, bitch, there's a tablet. There's a tablet. Listen, you got me the amount of times. The amount of time, myself, listen, I know right? you. There's a tablet. You got a tablet. Why is tell you about the tablet? Yeah. Listen. Anyway. Yeah, so yeah. Advocate, ask questions. The worst people can say is no, right? Enjoy the little things in life. And enjoy, enjoy your life. Things, yes. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your life where you can. Yeah. Listeners, thank you so much. Julia, thank you so much That's for right. making my making my return to surviving society. <laughs> Cathartic, bearable and enjoyable. Um, I really, really, really appreciate you coming on and just talking talking the things about your 
very real lived experience of cancer you're welcome thank you so much and listeners thank you so much we'll be back again next week bye thank you for listening to surviving society with Chantal and tiso you can now continue the conversation with us on twitter and instagram if you enjoy the podcast and find it useful for your ever-expanding sociological imagination please support us via patreon if not you can always support us by sharing subscribing rating and reviewing 